welcome to the Open Book Unbound podcast. Morning Marjorie, how are you today? I'm great, how are you doing Claire? I'm good, what have you been up to? I have spent the last few days studying for the life in the UK test, which you have to take if you want to become a citizen. It's funny because I've lived in the UK now 20 years, which is longer than I've lived anywhere else, but I've never gone for citizenship. So it's been really funny to study and take this test, which I took earlier this week. And some of the questions are crazy. And so how do you study for it? Do you get notes that you learn Uh from or how does it work? We have to buy this little book and it seems like a very small book when it arrives and you think, oh, that's all right. It's, you know, maybe 100, 150 pages of kind of stuff about the history of the UK. Fair enough. And life in the UK. So some of those things I kind of get. How often do you get your car MOT'd and how do you put your name on the electoral register and how do you reach your MP? Things like that I absolutely get. But some of the questions are just, in my mind, hilarious, but also kind of mad. Well, I ask you one and see if you get it right. In which year did John Logie Baird make the first TV broadcast between Glasgow and London? Oh my goodness. 1948? Nope. 32. And things like when was the first BBC broadcast and when were the when were newspapers allowed to print without a license? And the, my favourite one, which I have been laughing about all week, which forms part of the UK character? Now, I've lived here 20 years and I still wouldn't have guessed the right answer. So, so it, what were our options then? The options were, it's a multiple choice question, going to the pub, fish and chips on a Friday, going to church on Sunday, or being able to laugh at yourself. I would guess at going to the pub. <laughs> no, it's the ability to laugh at yourself. What? And I've been, la- <laughs> I've been laughing all week thinking, maybe the test is just like a fake. And you go in and they ask you all sorts of outrageous questions. And if you laugh... at how outrageous it is and how you don't know the answers, you get in. But that's not how it worked. So I'm pleased to say with a little bit of studying, or I should say a little bit of cramming, I was not being a good role model for my children. I did pass, which is really nice. Excellent. So you're on my team for the next time we do trivial pursuits. <laughs> or pub quizzes. Yeah. Pub quizzes, well, I think yeah. Pub quizzes as part of a UK um, character maybe, but certainly part of life in the UK. So anyway. So today we have um, another of our remarkable Unbound commissions, this time by Ian Matheson, who uh, has done something really unusual. So we'll get on to that in a minute. But we're going to start off with a poem by Alice Oswald, which Ian has chosen called Daisy. Will I read us the poem to get us started? Yeah, that'd be nice. Thanks. Daisy. I will not meet that quiet child, roughly my age, but match size. I will not kneel low enough to her lashes to look her in her open eye or feel her hairy, wiry strength or open my mouth among her choristers. I will not lie small enough under her halo to smell its laundered frills or let the slightest whisperiness find out her friendliness because she is more summer-like, more meek than I am. I will push my nail into her neck and make a lovely necklace out of her green bones. So this poem comes from a book called Weeds and Wildflowers by Alice Oswald, which I have. And and the reason I'm mentioning it is because it's a remarkable book. It's a book that's got these beautiful um, drawings or etchings, really, on one side of flowers. And on the other, Alice has written a poem to match. So this Although it, for me, it feels like it's about a child. It's also about a flower. Yeah, I mean, that took me right back to sitting, making daisy chains. 
for me, the making daisy chains is an act of kind of, well, I would call it as an adult, like mindfulness or meditation or something, but is really as a child an act of boredom. You know, you've got such a gap in your life that there's nothing. I mean, I loved doing it, so I'm not saying it's not interesting, but it is that lazy day where what should we do? You're sitting on a hill and you look around and there are daisies everywhere. Why not? It's a bit like knitting as an adult, something to do with your hands, but it's something to do with your hands. It's a very much of a time and a place for me. I can feel the warm sun and I can almost feel the grass under you as you're doing it. The thing I love about it as well is the characterization of the daisy as a little child because it works so beautifully. And so many of the descriptions that we get in this poem that are related back to that quiet child are just perfect. Yeah, exactly. And here's my question about the poem. She says, I will not meet her. I will not kneel low enough. I will not lie small enough. Why is it a not? Is it because she recognizes herself in the flower and and knows she's going to kill it? I mean, how did you read that I will not do it? Because I think she has the power, doesn't she, in this scenario to decide which daisies get pulled up and made into the chain and which are allowed to grow another day. And I think she knows that. And she doesn't want to get the daisy that she's about to rip out of the ground and which will ultimately die. She doesn't want to get to know that daisy too well. I suspect she wouldn't be able to make the daisy chain if she then lay down and befriended it. What a gorgeous poem, but I think we should probably move on to the story since um, we've got lots of bits to get through this morning. The story this morning is in a really interesting and unusual format and Ian's really given us a lot to think about. He's written the story that we're going to read in nine chapters of 100 words each and each of the chapters can be read in any order and the story will still make sense. So we're going to read it in the order that Ian has sent it over to us in but if you go to the website openbookreading.com you'll find our newsletter and you'll find the story there and you will be able to play around with reading it in different orders and let us know which one you would have started with so i think we're going to try do something a little bit different try and stop a little bit more often just so that we can really enjoy and talk about this in unusual format so shall i start and read the first couple of 100 word sections or chapters unbound she has to go out once a day She chooses her route carefully. Today's route brings her back from the right with the moon behind her and the road where it always is. A crack in the bathroom window could be new since yesterday. Last few steps, last piece of chocolate. Suddenly, no steps left. She's home again. She still likes this home. Always tired at a walk's end, nerves on tiptoe, watching, watching, walking, walking. The weight of the key on a ring with a blue plastic duck. The end of today's walk, and she remembers all that happened. The cartoon dog, the blue weather, the hole in the ground. Page one. You hadn't read a book since yesterday. You were only doing it now because you decided to read one every day and it seemed a shame to stop. You got them from people's gardens, the kind of gardens with signs that say, free books, help yourself. You chose them by thickness, 200 pages, enough to seem like a real book. Once you'd read them, you returned them to the garden library You never knew if a book would be about anything 
Some aren't. Like people who keep talking because they've nothing to say. You filled a glass with milk. You sat at the kitchen table. You started. Already I'm trying to work out whether they're the same person. Um, it's a really great use of a second person because in poetry anyway, you know, I, I use it when I want to try and get a reader to empathize in some way, you know, when I want to draw a reader in, not just tell them a story, but put them put them in the story. And it really contrasts sharply with the she. I think in a way that underlines the fact you're swapping perspectives. I wondered if it's the same. Like, I mean, I guess this is a question we can ask all the way through it. In some senses, the way we see the world is the way others see us, the way we see ourselves. You know, you speak to yourself, you know, saying, come on, get dressed, it's time to get up and get going or whatever it is, you know, and then you definitely see the way the world sees you or, or the way you think the world sees you. And then there's the internal voice as well. I so I wonder if that's what he's doing here. I, I can't, so far, it's not clear to me that they are different people. So that's the question hanging. And my sense is that it is the same person because the, for me, there's a sense of what is happening in the first paragraph, shall we call it, the first chapter, that seems to chime with what happens in the second chapter. You could imagine the person taking the walk in the way that the walk's described, being the same person as the person who decides to read a book a day. And I love the noticing that happens in the first chapter. It just feels the person who's out walking is really present in her walk and really observing. So she knows she's got the moon behind her and she's aware of the weight of the key on the ring and just the, the line, she remembers all that happened. But the things that she remembers are unusual. The cartoon dog, the blue weather, the hole in the ground. No, but it makes me think that she's a noticer. She's very present in what she does in the course of a day. We should probably keep going because we've just got tons, yeah, more to get through. Okay, so do you want to read the next two then? Yeah, okay. I won't know the name for a meal eaten at 4 o'clock p.m. I'll measure the right amount of pasta into a pan. I'll boil the water in my kettle and pour it on the pasta. If I look through the kitchen window, a pale girl will be playing on a red bicycle. The pasta will take eight minutes. I'll heat some sauce that will be left over from the weekend. It'll have tomatoes, garlic, onions, mushrooms, basil. All this will still be allowed. It will not be the first time I'll have made this meal. I'll have learned to pace its two elements so that they'll be ready at the same time. Today was an even number so you went out of the house and turned left. The gate squeaked, but the hole in the road was still there. Some people peered into it. Others made a detour. Today's dog was a hopeless one, flat on the pavement, a cartoon explosion of a dog. Walking, walking, past the coffee shop that called itself an art centre, Suddenly on the bench, there was a sculpture of someone sitting. The sculpture got up and it was a woman. She smiled. A bus with an advert about tourists, but you weren't one. Weather, that shifty mix of clothes when it's sunny and windy all at once. So I think it feels much more like a diary, this section, the I section. Well, it feels like someone who's really ordered her life 
in a way that makes me slightly uncomfortable actually yeah and i was going to say i might be quite upset or worried if that order is disrupted yeah exactly i think it's really interesting in a piece where you are allowed as the reader to reorder things for order to feel like one of the themes that's emerging things have to be done in a particular way and in a particular order but of course they don't for this piece we're given permission as a reader to reorder this person's life or day or experiences which is really interesting isn't it it's quite fun but it also feels quite naughty it feels like it would be quite upsetting for our character in this piece to have her life reordered by us well and suddenly i feel i understand why ian's chosen alice oswald's piece because it's about power so we have the power as the reader or the listener out there and the daisy doesn't so maybe the date so far i think she's the daisy and we as the reader are the one about to make a daisy chain we can we can snap the neck and move it around and turn it into something different so we'll come back to that but i think yeah but that first part of the bit that i read i worry about her for there's something about that that doesn't feel at ease at all there's only a particular way i mean the idea that you would measure the right amount of pasta and know that it's eight minutes and know that if you look outside you're going to see a very particular thing feels either like it's trauma or recovering, like there's some kind of order of things that has to be a particular way in order for her to be okay. Yeah, it certainly feels like if she doesn't do the steps in this way, she feels something bad will happen, whether that's to her or whether that's external. It's almost like a sort of a talisman. If I do this this way, things will be okay. It makes me wonder if she looks out the kitchen window and the pale girl with the red bicycle isn't there. Well, I even wonder whether the pale girl with the bicycle is, exists, whether that's a different version of herself that's out playing and not paying attention. You know, kids on bicycles are notorious for not paying attention to the time. So, you know, I wonder if that's her looking through a glass and seeing another version of herself. The sort of discomfort that we feel with the order of things comes a lot from the fact that this section is written in the future tense. So I will heat some or I'll heat some sauce that will be left over from the weekend. You know, she, it's not just that she's planning and meticulously for what's happening now. It's that she's looking ahead and every step is being planned. This sentence, all this will still be allowed, is really telling for me. There's something very sinister about that sentence. It strikes me as someone who's battling mental illness, I guess, or we set parameters for ourselves because they make us feel comfortable when we're struggling. So this feels like it could almost be a self-imposed set of parameters and the, the person doing the allowing is herself. And I wonder if there's an element of it that is has a reference to the pandemic through it and that all this will still be allowed. I might not know what else will or won't be allowed by the weekend, but I know I'll still be able, allowed to make pasta and pasta sauce and that there's a reassurance and a certainty in that. And interesting, the discussion of the second walk, today's walk, is an even number, so you go left. That tells us an awful lot about her. And the recall of the things that she'd noticed on the first day, the hole in the ground and the dog and the weather are revisited in the second walk and noted. I think that's what gave me the sense of the diary. Yeah, but then there's, you know, these great, that the last sentence of that piece, weather, the shifty mix of clothes when it's sunny and windy all at once. I love that. You can already see her tugging at different things, trying to hold them on, trying to keep warm. I definitely have her in Scotland for some reason. And I recognise, you know, there's a lot about this character I don't recognise when we're, we're reading about her, but I do recognise that recognition on Sunday slash windy days in Scotland. You need layers. And that you might struggle to hold them around your body. 
and 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 going back again, I recognise the filling the glass with milk and sitting at this kitchen table with a book, carving out that piece to read. Although it would probably be coffee rather than milk, but it's nice to have those. I think it brings you back into the story and fires up your empathy again with this character by dropping in these little segments of things that you recognise. Yeah, and the milk makes me think about what her age is. So she could be a teenager so far in my head because that's the kind of thing a teenager would do is to pour a glass of milk. I feel like she lives on her own. Not that a teenager couldn't live on their own, but... Yeah, so far in my head she's about 17 or 18 living on her own. But who knows, let's see. Shall we keep going? Shall I read the next two? She'll read to the end. The end will be disappointing. A dozen pages left. Suddenly the hero will be watching tall strangers through a broken window. He'll have no idea what they're saying. He'll make up ten things, and that'll be all. She'll feel cheated. She could make up things herself, better things. They'll be improvising poetry, discussing their friend's criminal past, choosing a name for an actual cat, making up a language. She'll think, I'm going to write these down. It'll have taken nine hours to read this book, pausing only for meals. In the book's world, years will have passed. Every day she'll forget what hard work it is reading. You decide to keep a diary. Today's breakfast is porridge. You fill a cup with oat flakes, add salt, pour it all into a pan. In the same cup, you measure a small quantity of milk and fill it up with cold water. You pour this blend over the oat flakes. On the television, a man is laughing. You turn on one ring of the cooker and stir the mixture as it heats. He is still laughing. You check the temperature so that the porridge doesn't burn. In four minutes, it is ready. You decant it into a bowl, add cold milk, eat it with a spoon. Tomorrow, you plan to make toast. The more of this we read, the more I'm convinced it's the same person. Mm, yep. And we're just in and out of the first, second and third person. So I love that first piece that you read there, the idea that she could have done better. And the anticipation of the end being disappointing, the knowledge that this is what she's coming up to. I wonder if she will read those dozen pages, even though she knows they'll be disappointing because she has a sense of wanting to finish the book. It's not putting her off reading books, but then she discusses things like it'll have taken nine hours to read this book and every day she'll forget what hard work is reading. And I think what she means by that last bit is she'll forget what hard work it is reading. Originally where that is, she'll forget what hard work is while she's reading effectively. Every day she comes back to it having forgotten how difficult it was the day before. I wonder if that list was her own, the improvising poetry and discussing their criminal past and choosing name for a cat. I felt like those were her her list, the things that she would put on the list. Do you think they were the things that were in the book? Well, the first time I read it, I thought it was things in the book because she said, I'm going to write these down as if they were good ideas or things that she might want to come back to that had been given to her from the book. But just reading it now, I think they're her own ideas. But she still wants to write them down so she doesn't forget them. But then there's sort of strange things as well, aren't they? And she's making up what the hero is making up about what he can see through a glass. Is that She's a woman with time on her hands. <laughs> because, you know, I can barely make up things as it goes, but let alone making up about something about someone's 
in, in a story who is watching someone else. You know, we're getting further and away, further away from whatever actually is happening. And I feel like in many ways that's a metaphor for what's going on here. We get further and further away from, you know, whatever is actually happening. And that's a kind of gimmick, you know, of, um, of not of Ian's, but of, of hers to like kind of t- to distract us with other stuff so that we're not paying attention with, about what's actually happening in her life. If that makes sense, a story within a story, and where we forget the reader sitting there. One of the things that she's doing or she's suggesting is making up a language, and that seems really telling for someone who doesn't appear to have spoken at all to anyone else throughout the story, which feels like it's happening over a number of days. But time is a bit fluid, isn't it, in this? She's making up her own language in this kind of way of ordering her life. So it feels like kind of language, but a language within her own head. And then the way that this this story is told is a kind of language as well. We can order it how we like. We can tell it in the first person or the second person or the third person. That's a form of language, I think, in terms of how we choose to communicate. If you think of language as something that we use to communicate. And that's what I think the making up the language gives me a sense of. She feels like she doesn't have a way to communicate at the moment, so she's going to try and make up a different one or a new one or find a way to communicate. And one of the things that's interesting and kind of in the back of my head, because um, Ian's a friend as well, is he he's a composer. And so he's someone who's really interested in time and sound. So to write a story where we don't have speech yet is really interesting because he really pays attention to way, the way sound works and how it works in conjunction with other sound. So I think that's something kind of interesting to keep in mind because this is a silent story so far. And although, and in many ways, the voices, the I, the you, the she, are almost like... Different instruments. Yeah, even. that's what I was going to say. Sorry, Ian, if we're wrong. But, you know, that it, it does feel like a little trio. And together, they're making a story or making a piece. And you're only getting the full sound of the piece by listening to the different instruments, as it were, that are painting the picture. Yeah, you might have a cello and a viola and a violin, and if you only listen to one part, it's interesting, it's beautiful on its own, but it doesn't give you what the three together give you. So that'll be interesting to see if that holds. Shall we keep going? Yeah. Page 98. I'm reading slowly because this one's complicated. There's a girl who likes jam and a fish who doesn't do much, and music the hero thinks he doesn't like, but then finds out he does. I'm not sure who this hero is or if he's at all heroic. The book's about his responses to the jam girl and the fish and the music. I wonder if the author believes the hero believes in love at first sight. I drink some milk. I say, this book should be bigger than the size of it. I pause when the doorbell rings. I give the caller time to leave, then go on reading. Her alarm clock rang. 11 p.m., time for supper. She decided on a peanut butter sandwich. She cut a slice of white bread, which she had paid for, spread it thickly with peanut butter from a jar, cut the bread in half, Place the pieces together, peanut butter on the inside. She ate and looked back at the day. She realized she hadn't had five pieces of fruit. From the bowl, she chose a grape, an apple, a raisin, a banana, another grape. 
she arranged them in a circle. Starting with the second grape, she went anti-clockwise until she'd eaten them all. Time for bed. She reset her alarm clock. I find those sections almost heartbreaking. And, and I find it highly amusing in some way that we need to be told that the peanut butter's on the inside. <laughs> what else would you do? And so, of course, if the other option is to have the peanut butter on the outside, who are we dealing with here? And then the way that she you know, has to go anti-clockwise. I wouldn't be surprised if the next time she has to go clockwise. And we hear her speak for the first time. This book should be bigger than the size of it. I wonder if she's talking about her own life there. What she's got to show for her day-to-day, the porridge and the measuring out and the pieces of fruit and things aren't actually the full sense of who she is. I know that's true for all of us, right? Yeah, and for me a sense as well of maybe she feels she's not getting the credit that she deserves for the care that she's taking. Well, I often think, you know, we don't give people credit for the size of their lives, you know, because when we meet, we have a sense of the size of ours. But I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, you know, when we meet people, they're carrying so much with them and we don't see it. You know, we don't see that someone's still grieving or ill or, or whatever the history of that person is. We just meet them on the street or we meet, see them on a bench or whatever. And I feel that's what she's saying is my book is bigger than it seems. My book is bigger than these chapters you're getting. While acknowledging it that about the hero, she's also saying my book is bigger too. But then I feel make it feel desperately sad that the caller leaves. Does she answer the door? No, she gives the caller time to leave, doesn't I think she just sits at the kitchen table silently because she doesn't even continue reading. She pauses. And then she carries on reading. It could be read the other way. She brings the person in and then she gives them time to read before, or her time to read, leave before she... For me, the sense is that she's sitting at the table reading and she just stops for a moment. She's surprised at the fact the doorbell has rung and she just sits there still until the caller leaves and then she goes on reading. She's also the kind of person who sets her alarm for meals. So again, that order that I must know, I must get five pieces of fruit which we all know but none of us count at the end of the day and it feels in a way that it's only the plan and only the order that's enabling her to function at all it feels like she would without it she would completely fall apart and yet she's engaged in these stories you know the the books which seem to be you know her outlet or her real life in some ways it feels already terribly claustrophobic the only exit from that is these stories, the, the man with the jam and the fish. You know, that's what reading does for us, is it takes us out of our life and into the life of another person, which is why it's so freeing or so beneficial or why so many of us love to do it. And and in many ways, that's a metaphor of what's happening in this story. You know, we're spending our time thinking about this woman's life in a way that trying to understand why someone would order their their days this way. And that helps us with empathy, doesn't it? And trying to find things that we recognise or have in common at the same time recognizing lots of things that are different and that we don't and making us think about people who choose to run their lives in a different way than perhaps we would shall i read the very last chapter as it were or the last chapter on my page might not be the last chapter on your page when you choose to read it i'll be walking 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 i'll be traveling light no need for a passport No need to change money or clocks, no jabs, no pills, no compass 
but the one in my head. I'll remember sometimes having to think what to pack, what to leave. Map, guidebook, camera, hat in case of rain, hat in case of sun, wool in case of cold, cream in case of heat, midge cream, face cream, sun cream. But not today. Today I'll be going where I always go, watching the world. No suitcase, no book for the train, no cash for coffee. Just the good nervousness. How will it be different from every yesterday? So again, we've got the future here. I will be doing this. She's planning a trip. She's planning a walk. But not abroad. How do we know it's not abroad? No need for passport. I thought it was the midge cream that gave it away. but <laughs> Well, midge cream is, yeah. <laughs> and I love the idea, the end of this, today I'll be going where I always go, watching the world. And then there's a kind of nervousness about what will be different. It's that idea of um, taking the same walk every day. And I can't remember the name of it, but there's a book that I read and it was about how you should take the same walk every day. In that walk, as you walk every day, you'll notice something different if you're really paying attention. And in that way, you'll see the seasons pass, whether it's the weeds coming up through the pavement or the trees and are in leaf or whatever. That idea that it's a way of marking where you are in time. That feels like that's her, what she's doing. How will it be different? Nervousness in a kind of positive way, a good nervousness. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time in the, the whole piece that I felt any sense of contentment. Even when she's sitting at the table reading the book, it felt like it was a chore. And I wonder how the story would be different if we'd started with it. Exactly, yeah. Because if you'd started with this idea, but not today, and how will it be different? And then you get the descriptions of how they're different. It would be a really different story for me. And if you'd left the story at time for bed, she reset her alarm clock, I would feel disappointed, I think. Whereas here, it feels really hopeful. And I wonder if there's something bigger being said there about our lives and the way that we choose to see them and the way we choose to order how we remember things. So, you know, we all have a kind of, if you, we obviously have a timeline of memory, but if you chunk them into 200 word pieces that you could put on a piece of paper and reordered them, I guess there's something big being said here about how we respond to those stories that we tell ourselves and particularly the order in which we tell them. Because for me, there would be a huge shift. I'm tempted to take this now when we finish chatting this morning and reread it and reread it in a different order and just see whether I get a different sense of, of the character that we're we're reading about. I imagine if the story ended with, you know, the porridge piece. You decant it to a bowl, you add cold milk, eat it with a spoon, tomorrow you plan to make toast. Suddenly tomorrow you plan to make toast feels really hopeful. Or if we ended with giving the caller time to leave oh. and then going on reading, that would just be so devastating. Yeah. <laughs> that she's left, it's the end of the story and she's left sitting on her own at her kitchen table. And I think that's what's interesting is so again, like I was saying, it's about, for me, it's about how we choose to remember but it's also about the power of our own stories, I guess. And in this case, we have a power over this story. So back to Alice Oswald. What Ian does is make us get on the ground and look this woman in the eye. He's doing for us what Alice is saying, I will not do because I have the power over this flower. So I don't want to get to know the flower because I, but I actually am, you know, secretly know that it's got a hairy, it's hairy and it's got a wiry stem and it's got, you know, and it's got a mouth like a, you know, it's got a rough like a chorister. And I know all those things, but I'm not going to talk about them because actually I know I'm going to kill it. And what Ian's doing for me is, is getting me on eye level with this woman and still giving me the power over her story. And it makes me think about, you know, I'll go away today thinking, what order am I telling myself my own memory? How do I order them? And where am I leaving off? Where am I starting? And if you think about time 
in this story, he lets us play with time. And I guess that's a really interesting concept. And I think it's a particularly appropriate at the moment when, as we've said before, time has such a different sense at the moment, I think. I mean, it's it's easing as we're eased out of lockdown, but certainly during lockdown for me, times at some point would be incredibly slow and stretchy and take a long time to pass. And in other times, you know, someone would say oh, that's 100 days in lockdown and I would be like, whoa, you know, just how did that happen? So there is a sense of this having been written with a particular um, emphasis on us noticing the time in the story. Really, really interesting story. Thank you, Ian. Really, um, really made us think, I think, both of us when we were reading this. And when Ian first suggested it as an idea, we were absolutely intrigued as to how he would manage to pull it off, as it were. So I hope you enjoy it as much as, as we've done definitely been one of my favorites i think that's all from us today we've loved being in your ears and uh, we hope to be back with you again soon 